Gold remains in a bull market at $1,500. People are worried about negative interest rates coming to the U.S. Midas Gold gets sued and actually goes up 10%. And unfortunately, the mass shootings in the U.S. continue. This is episode 31 of Bizarro World. I'm your co-host, Nick Hodge, and I'm with the smart, the insightful, the witty, the world-famous Mr. Gerardo Del Real. Gerardo, how are you doing today? Mr. Hodge, I am well. I was not aware that I had a mirror held up to you. I, I, I thought that I, I was coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, and that uh, you were still in Spokane, Washington. But, you know, you, you know how to make a guy blush. What can I say? It's a bizarro, bizarro Groundhog Day kind of a world, Gerardo. I know you're on vacation in Gerardo or uh, vacation in Chicago, and there's been some somber circumstances this week. So you're with family. Let's talk about it a bit. Yeah, you know, let, let, let's get right to it. Obviously, we have to address what happened. You know, we talked about Gilroy a few weeks back, and, and then last week we, we talked about um, almost serendipitously, right, why, why the profile of these mass shooters tend to be um, young and white, right? That, that tends to be the pattern. Um, we touched on serial killers a bit. Those tend to be middle-aged and white. Um, and it wasn't even yeah, – I, I don't believe that the, the podcast even made – it to publishing before, of course, we heard the horrible news out of El Paso, um, the horrible news out of Dayton, and, you know, fortunately, the avoided horrible news out of Missouri, the gentleman that went in there with 100 rounds and assault rifle, bulletproof vest, and, and what's becoming, you know, the, uh, the uh, wardrobe of choice for these young white males that decide they want to go shoot shit up, which is, you know, the, the black tank top and the camouflage or khaki pants. Um, you know, I sit here in Chicago and I'm fortunate enough to be surrounded by deals and tias, aunts, uncles, cousins, nephews, nieces, uh, my sister and my wife, my beautiful kids, you know, people that I've uh, spent my entire life with, people that raised me, people that babysat me. And, and I can't help but think, you know, at once upon a time, we all came from, we all originate from a town called Montescobedo, Zacatecas in central northern Mexico. Uh, and my family, my father, my mother, my aunts, they all came to this country mostly to be frank, illegally in search of a better opportunity, not to leech off the system, not to get on food stamps, not for any of that. You know, they came here and risked their lives so that they could work legal jobs, send their kids to schools in hopes for some upward mobility to escape very bad situations um, in Mexico at the time. And now, you know, I can tell you that, you know, everybody is either a resident or a citizen. Everybody is contributing to the economy in one form or another. And it's alarming. It's alarming what happened in both El Paso and Dayton. And, where I, and I want to get into it because I know you have opinions. I, I, I read a couple of your comments on Twitter this week, and we haven't had an opportunity to chat about it yet. But in, in respects to El Paso and what happened there, this is a border city, which is one of the safest cities in the country that is 83 percent Hispanic, lots of immigrants, um, a peaceful city by any statistical measure. Um, the shooter came from an area near Dallas, Texas because he didn't want to inflict this pain in his hometown is what's being reported in the news. Take that with a grain of sand, a grain of salt, whatever you'd like. Um, but I, you know, I read his uh, manifesto, which is really, you know, five or six paragraphs of frankly, what sound like Donald Trump talking points. And when I say talking points, I don't mean the shit that you see um, reported by CNN or MSNBC. I'm talking about the stuff that the administration is paying for. And so when I, when I look at a, at, at a president or an administration, I not only care about what they say. Frankly, I care very little sometimes about what they say. 
except when they back it up by large cash infusions, specifically targeting the weaker amongst us, the weaker minded amongst us on social media. So when I when I listen to the rhetoric and I think Beto O'Rourke, and let's forget some of his other policies, which I don't agree with um, in regards to climate change. When I when I look at Beto O'Rourke and his comments, they were spot on. He was asked if he thought the president was racist. And, and in an off the cuff moment, he was very blunt. He said, look, you've heard the shit he's been saying. He's been saying that immigrants are invading this country, that they are vermin, that this is an infestation. Those are all words that lead that would lead somebody that is weak minded, that has access to assault rifles, high capacity magazines, and and and, and frankly, um, that has a similar worldview. They may think their country is under attack. Their country, coincidentally, being Texas, which used to be Mexico, that's a whole another conversation, right? Let's put history to the side. Um, that may lead somebody of, of this gentleman's mental capacity of to pick up an assault rifle, drive eight or nine hours to an 83% Hispanic community, Walmart, on a Saturday afternoon where fundraising was going on, and, and, and murder you know, the amount of people and injure the amount of people that he did. Um, so no, is Donald Trump responsible for this directly? Absolutely not. The, the, the shooter is, right? Is Donald Trump and his administration responsible for spreading the vernacular and the language and the sentiment among his base? that would lead the weaker minded amongst them to do something like this? Absolutely fucking yes. And, and right now it's people that I grew up with. I have friends in El Paso. I have friends who I had a call to make sure we're okay. And they said, I'll call you back. I'm okay, but I need to check on my mom. I need to check on my brother. I need to check on my sister. I need to check on my niece. Um, so that was El Paso in Dayton. You know, they've been very quiet and you touched on this. It doesn't fit the narrative of, the white supremacist shooter, but it does fit the narrative of an admitted misogynist um, person that had nasty attitudes towards women. This guy was in a metal band that, you know, talked about raping and pillaging and women for the taking. And so, you know, white supremacists or not, the attitude is very similar, whether it's targeting women, whether it's targeting immigrants, whether it's targeting Hispanics, um, it's getting more specific. And you know, we touched on fourth turnings. We touched on that last week. We talked about the fact that those things don't happen peacefully. And I think, you know, unfortunately, this isn't going to be the last time we have these conversations. And it saddens my heart that unfortunately for, you know, for, for people of my background and people that live in, in, in the Hispanic community, um, the language is getting more specific. It's getting more specific towards us, frankly, um, if we want to talk ethnicity. And, and for women, you know, unfortunately, who have bore the brunt of male dominance, and supremacy for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, um, globally, they're, they're, they're in the crosshairs as well. And forgive the pun, but that's exactly what it is. And I think these two uh, most recent um, incidents just speak volumes to that. And all I can tell people is, uh, you know, the Second Amendment is there for a reason. Educate yourself. I, I, I grapple with this, Nick. This is a very real conversation. I have three boys, 11, 16, and 21, and, and I don't know which way to go with this. I don't know if the right approach is to give them a full hardcore education about the Second Amendment and how to use that as effective as possible. And then God forbid an accident happens or they end up in a situation that maybe could have avoided if I didn't introduce them to weapons or had them introduced to weapons by a licensed professional. Um, or if I just keep it as far away from them as possible and hope that the universe is kind. But these are the questions that I think parents across the country right now are asking themselves. And 
it's definitely something that as a country, it's uh, in 2019, it's, it's, it's a sad state of affairs. And again, I'll be watching not just the words of the administration or, or, or the politicians, but uh, let, let's see where the money goes. The, you know, the first thing that happened this week was uh, the largest immigration raid by ICE. They weren't targeting felons. They weren't targeting people who have violent crimes, rapists, drug dealers, all the people that Donald Trump categorized my people as. They were targeting everybody. Um, so that's uh, that's that. That's that. Let's talk markets in a bit. I'd love to hear your take, and I'm happy to offer, you know, any other opinions that you might solicit from me. I thought that was pretty in depth, and that'll be the end of my rant, unless you have questions. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot that I don't that I can add to that. That was uh, well articulated and well said. Um, let me see what I can do here. Um, there's a lot of cross currents in the country right now uh, as it comes to ideology and uh, politics, and uh, we believe, or at least I believe, that ties into uh, deeper flaws in the country that need to be resolved, uh, economic and and socioeconomic flaws that need to be resolved over the the coming decade or so. And unfortunately, um, that situation, that socioeconomic situation that uh, has made these tensions and these cross currents flare up has also given birth to the president that we currently have, who has done us uh, no favors when it comes to racial, racial issues and the rhetoric that he uses. I'm with you, Gerardo, on uh, the gun laws. We saw Republicans sort of start to fluctuate this week in that um, longstanding uh, Repu- Republicans who have been uh, opposed to, to gun control measures as simple as background checks, background checks and things like that are starting to say, hey, uh, maybe that's a good idea. So that's a step in the right direction. In addition to Beto O'Rourke, who you mentioned, I also saw Elizabeth Warren uh, outright call the president a white supremacist. And so um, the rhetoric is getting more pointed on both sides. And that's a good thing to get everything out there in the open as, as much as possible. Um, not much else to add. I don't think beyond that, except to say that the stories are gut-wrenching of, you know, the parents protecting their six-month-old child and breaking its bones. And I don't think that it's sustainable in this country to go on like that. But unfortunately, as you said, this fourth turning is not going to be uh, gentle. And so blood is going to be shed. I think Mr. Dine said that there was going to be blood of children or something like that a little while ago. And so that's just indicative of of the political state of the country and, and, and so, so sad, unfortunately. And um, what do you do but... Uh, hug your kids and, and, like you say, grapple with the decision of how to best protect them uh, in your own individual situation. And I think that's where a lot of the country is right now. Yeah, uh, that, that that's well said. I'll say this. I've heard the uh, we're going to explore universal background check before during Sandy Hook when babies were slaughtered and, um, you know, nothing came of that. And so I hope I'm wrong about the fact that I think they're going to drag this conversation on for a couple of months and then it'll get pushed to the side because lobbyists from the NRA will do what lobbyists from the NRA do. And let's be clear, <laughs> the, the people that write the gun laws in this country come from the NRA. Like, you know, if we're going to talk candidly and bluntly, I support the Second Amendment. I am a, as big a supporter as you will find because I believe it's, 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 it's one of those 
you know, I don't think that the, un, the, the Constitution is this infallible document that can never be changed. Come on, man. It was written by man 200-something years ago, right? But I do believe the Second Amendment is one that protects against government tyranny and the way that the rhetoric is so pointed and targeted right now. <laughs> we're there. We're there. This isn't going to be a one-off, folks. Um, call your local politicians. Educate yourself about what you can and can't do. There were people that were shot that didn't seek help from a hospital because of their citizenship status. They preferred to bleed out and put their family at risk of being deported. Um, just, just a tough situation. That's where we're at as far as the U.S. goes. For everybody that's listening you know, from other places in the world, um, it's a crazy, crazy time. It truly is a bizarre world here. And there are no easy solutions. You know, universe, we're going to have to take a bunch of baby steps that hopefully lead to a culture change, a way to dialogue differently, a way to dialogue on ideas um, that make sense. You know, I, again, I'm here in Chicago, right? I'm just outside of Chicago right now where farmers have been hit left and right. You can see it, you know, despite the bailouts, which, by the way, nobody says it's socialism when the farmers get bailed out because we know the demographic, right? But they've been hit, and then they're having to respond, and they're having to wait, you know, for the government handout in hopes of keeping their farms alive. Um, and it's just – it's the same thing. It's hardworking people that are being hit by trade policies that um, don't affect everybody proportionally. The 1%, the better off among us, are okay no matter what happens with the trade war. It's everybody else, man. And I don't care if you're white, you're brown, you're black, you're yellow, you're pink, you're purple – you're not in that top 1%. You should really start paying attention to the stuff that's being passed, the laws being enacted, the stuff that goes on without a vote. It gets snuck into transportation bills and commerce bills and, you know, all the other sneaky shit your politician does. Vote these fuckers out if they're not actually doing your bidding, people. That's the way this country was found. That's the only way we're going to move it forward. Let's talk markets. I think we're at a place of extremes and in, in, in many things, whether that's um, – extreme political views on the right and the left or it's extreme disparity of wealth on the haves and the have-nots or it's um extreme tops or highs or records in the stock market or it's um you know uh record depletion without uh, replenishing of gold reserves there's a lot of extremes going on and i think that what that's what's giving rise to a lot of the things you see around you and so that's going to be my segue is as the, the main co-host this week, Gerardo, to markets, because a couple of things. One, um, gold has held up really, really well, I think stronger than anyone thought it would so far. There's going to be, uh, and this is just my opinion now, a battle around sort of the next technical level, the 1550 area, as there was around um, the key previous technical level around 1300, because it's a big psychological um, hurdle. And so I don't think it's going to be straight up from here, but I am impressed that it's held so closely to 1500 for so long. And make no mistake, that's uh, whether it holds 1500 or not is not whether or not we're in a bull market. It could fall much lower than 1500 and we'd still be firmly in a bull market. So um, impressed with its, with its strength. Um, also impressed to see some other companies starting to, to move that haven't uh, moved yet. We talked last week about Revival Gold. It had a bit of a I don't know, an eight or a nine or a 10 cent move this week. Uh, Midas gold started to move. And so, um, 
you know, I was looking at like JNUG, the triple leveraged ETF the, uh, just the other day. Mm. It's, it's already tripled. And so this is like bull market stuff. We're getting excited. And I also saw, and then I'll let you have your, your couple of minutes on golden rates because I know you want it. But um, the Canadian paper, the Globe and Mail, was quoting an RBC broker just this week, just yesterday, in fact, Thursday, mm -hmm. um, and saying that, you know, he hasn't had clients call him about gold in a year and a half. Not a single call about gold in a year and a half yeah. was his was his quote. And then just this week, they called just this week, not when gold broke thirteen hundred, not when gold broke. 1400 but when gold finally got to 1500 he got his first call so like first inning like we just had like we haven't even thrown the the first pitch of the game like we just had the 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 real the the first pitch of the president threw out not the real first pitch of the game like we haven't even started right correct no i agree with you completely i i remember speaking a month or so ago i think when gold was you know, right at that 1350, 1360 level. And I remember saying, look, if we get through 1362 and then 1374 on, on a monthly closing level, on the daily and the monthly, there's not a lot between 1400 and 1550. And I think 1550 is, is the next target. Um, it's, it, it's funny to me, and, and, and I don't mean this to sound condescending, but it is funny to me that everybody now um, talks about geopolitics and talks about the bond market and the situation that Europe is in and capital fleeing. And they do all of that because that's the hottest talking point, right? This is something that when I launched my newsletter in 2016, again, I was early, you know, and, and for the people that lost money with me for a couple of years, um, with few exceptions, um, I, I did not do them any favors by seeing this early. But I, I, I was writing about this three years ago, Nick, that this, these would be the situations and, and this would be the climate that would contribute to the next gold bull market. Nobody, and I mean nobody at that time, looked at that and said, that makes sense. Um, and so let me tell you the next thing that people aren't looking at right now, and, and they will give, give it six months, they'll look back and they'll say, you, you'll have the same thing. Everybody's talking about the 10 year right now in the US and everybody's talking about Germany and their record negative yield and, and, and how that's beneficial for gold. And it's easy to see now as it's happening. It makes complete sense. What I don't believe people are ready for is the dollar rising in tandem with gold. And I'm telling you, it's the only way this gold bull market is sustainable. And this gold bull market is absolutely sustainable. I expect the dollar to have a crazy impactful and forgive the adjective. That's just how it's going to be. It's going to look crazy um, rally that sends the index to triple digits within the next three to six months. And I know that's counterintuitive. I know it doesn't make sense to a lot of people in the words of, you know, for our Canadian friends, in the words of Wayne Gretzky, I'm trying to give you the insight that I see as to where the puck is going. That's where the puck is going. And I think, you know, unfortunately, if we continue the, the, the trade wars with China, that's not going to do base metals um, any favors. You know, we, we, we look at Peru and we look at some of the things going on there in regards to some of the biggest copper mines um, and the logistical clusterfuck that is happening there right now. And it really hasn't moved the copper price. Um, if we were in the copper bull market that we were arriving towards before this trade war situation really escalated, we would see copper right now at 340, 350. Disruptions of this type, um, you know, would absolutely have us there if you look at the supply and demand fundamentals. And unfortunately, you know, there's a big cloud over infrastructure and, and coordinated global stimulus because of the trade wars. Um, but, 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 but that's going to be, you know, within the next 12 months, I think that has to get resolved. And I think that's going to be the next, uh, the next, the next huge bull market that we see right after uranium. Because I think, you know, and I want to talk uranium a little bit. I think this capitulation in uranium names. Is, is exactly that, the, the, the last little puke 
of, of energy that we need to the downside before we get that slingshot move to the upside. And everybody thought it was going to be section two, three, two, including myself. Um, you know, it, it was a head fake. And really what happened is, is, is the ball got kicked down the road, right? Um, that's, that's all that happened. The can got kicked down the road. That's all that happened. It wasn't, uh, it's not a, it's not going to happen type of situation. It's wait until October and, and let's get a more comprehensive plan put in place. And let's hope the administration does that. That's right. The nuclear working group that was put, put together has until I think the first or second week of October to come back with some actionable items about how to improve the domestic, uh, the American domestic uranium production. And I want to get back to gold just for a second, because um, some bull market, like touchy feely things are going on that I that I wanted to point out. We talked about how, <laughs> how some I of the, the touchy feely things. Have some of the have some of the <laughs> me too. Have some of the have some of the juniors haven't moved yet. And specifically in my newsletter, I pointed out this week how Midas Gold has sort of clung to the seventy five cent level. You know, um, over the past year or two, whether you know it's been above it a little bit and below it a little bit, but it's always sort of snapped back to seventy five cents. And despite some of the better names moving in gold over the past two months. Midas Gold has been a little, um, well, flat, to be honest. And so um, I, I just pointed that out and I said, well, look, um, I, I cited the quote of the RBC uh, broker that I that I just mentioned earlier. And I said, retail names aren't coming back into gold yet, I said. And so um, they're not looking for names like Midas yet. And the smart money you would have to imagine is already positioned. And I cited things like um, Barrick owning 19.9% and, and just coming back in to, to maintain that position and Paulson and company owning over 20% and just coming back in to maintain that position. And then just today, the day after, we get a, a news release that um, Midas is being sued by the Nez Perce tribe. Now, we knew because a couple months ago that the Nez Perce was considering this and we all dismissed it as baseless because it is baseless because they're suing about the water quality, but Midas could have nothing to do with that because they've not never operated on that site. And so it's as frivolous of a lawsuit as there can be. But nonetheless, um, that 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 um, Native American group, the Nez Perce, filed a suit in federal court today saying they're going to sue uh, Midas for the water quality, which doesn't make any sense. But here's what here's what doesn't make uh, more sense is that Midas Gold went up 10 percent today on like <laughs> over a million shares yep. traded. Right. So here's what I'm thinking. Right. You got the algos starting to crawl and they're just seeing Midas Gold in the headlines and they find a gold stock and then they're doing whatever the algos do to look at the whatever the NPV and the market cap and where it is. And they're saying, hmm, look at this Midas gold. And then they just get to buy it. Now I could have just made that up. But to me, you know, if that news had come out like last, um, I don't know, last summer, for example, Midas gold would have gone to, you know, 52 week lows, 40, 55, 45 cents. But instead it goes up 10% today, just because um, for me, it, it got Midas in the headlines. It's interesting. The stock, I think what it closed at 87 cents, 86 cents Canadian. I'd have to pull it up, but it was last time I checked. It was it was up around there. Yeah, on, on, let, let's. Yeah, right, right around those. Eighty nine. So the market 80, cap. Eighty nine you know, cents. Eighty nine cents. So it added what ten, eleven percent today. That's right, eleven point three percent. So, so, so less than a million dollars, right? Let's call it a million dollars. A million dollars in buying, you know, added about what twenty million dollars to the market cap. There you go. Twenty five million dollars to the market cap. That's how much upside remains, folks. I mean, if, if you take anything from this free podcast where, you know, we rant and we rave and we try to give you a few nuggets here and there, um, some freebies per se that, that you know, subscribers of our paid services um, have already been privy to, 
Um, if you take one thing away from this podcast outside of the social commentary and the political commentary, um, there's a lot of upside left in these names, folks. I mean, even after a 10, 11% move in Midas Gold, it's an absolute gift at these prices. Almaden Minerals has nearly, you know, has nearly doubled in the past several months. An absolute gift at these levels. I think in, in, in one of your newsletters, if I read it correctly earlier today or yesterday, you mentioned, Nick, that Almaden Minerals would still need to go up fivefold to be where it was before their resource, resource was as, 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 as robust as it is today and in the higher confidence uh, categories, right? And then back then they didn't have a mill and now they have a mill. So there's a lot of runway left. For those of you that are looking at it saying, man, gold is at 1500 I must have missed out. That could not be further from the truth. There is a ton of room. Find a newsletter writer you trust or like, reach out, email, ask some questions, call these companies and do some due diligence. There is a lot of money to be made in this bull market, folks. And it's not going to go straight up. You will have profit taking and you will have pullbacks and you will have, you know, things that happen like the lawsuit that might, it's a frivolous one, right? That I think um, everybody understands. It's kind of going to be hard to hold Midas accountable for the water contamination that they're trying to clean up when Midas has never operated the mine, right? This is a mine that was operated back in World War II during the war days, back in the days before Midas ever took over the project. They're trying to clean it up. So um, a, a lot of money left to be made. And, and, and like I said, start, start doing some reading, people. Um, once upon a time, 11 or 12 years ago, I had the good fortune of, of, of catching a bull market, you know, glimpses of a bull market before it really kicked off. And I was able to do relatively well. I was able to meet people like Mr. Nick Hodge, people like Mr. Jeff Phillips, you know, people that were kind with their platforms and their time um, and provided opportunities to myself. And frankly, other than playing shortstop for the Chicago Cubs, there's nothing in the world that I'd rather be doing than speculating in the junior resource space. And, and be clear, these aren't investments, right? These are speculations. These are high risk, high reward stocks. But if you have the risk tolerance and you have the speculative capital, you can do very, very well for yourself and for your families. So just to expand on some of the things you just said, I talked to Stephen Quinn today, who heads up Midas Gold, and he expanded on some of the things that were in the press release for me. Um, things like the fact that um, they're working with the EPA on a plan to clean up the water even before they start any work on mining because they're still in permitting. And if, in fact, this plan comes to fruition in the next couple of weeks or months, it will make the lawsuit moot because they'll be working with the federal government to clean up the site. And so the, the case would be dismissed. That's just like one example. Uh, another example would be um, the fact that, you know, in the background, uh, Midas has been working to update the feasibility study with recent drilling that it's done. And there's been things that have changed um, in the time that has passed since the last time they did it, namely that um, the Trump administration has lower taxes, which is going to uh, greatly impact the bottom line of the project. And also, oh, hey, by the way, gold is now at $1,500, which it wasn't a couple of months ago. So they can increase the prices that are that are used as a base case in the feasibility study. And so all that incremental improvement is going to come out in the not too distant future uh, in an updated study. And I don't think investors have been thinking about that. So to your point, yes, lots of upside left in in Midas Gold. I'm going to provide one last tip to everybody, and I, and I want anybody that's serious about speculating in this space, this is the minimal amount of due diligence that you could possibly do, but do it just as an exercise. Go to the Midas Gold website, and then go to the Almaden Minerals website. 
pulled up their corporate presentation. Both companies have excellent slides on the sensitivity, uh, sensitivity analysis on the net present value, depending on the price of gold. And I want you to look at where it was just three or four months ago, the price of gold and what the net present value of each company's respected projects, Sibnite and Ixaca was. And then I want you to use today's price, which is also in the slide. And I want you to see the difference in market cap. And then I want you to look at that and see how much, how much, how much room there is between where the price is now market cap wise and, and, and what the current net present value is. And then I want you to imagine a scenario where, and, and, and now, now we're using our imagination, gold is at $2,000, um, which, which can happen in the next six to 12 months, folks. Um, the global contagion that's about to be set off from Europe um, is, is very real and very predictable um, and is absolutely the type of environment that feeds into a small market like gold going up for 500 bucks an ounce in a relatively short amount of time. Um, and again, that capital flight is also what's going to feed the dollar index. And that's another story for another day. I know you wanted to talk interest rates. Um, you know, I, I, I think also I was among the first to say that, you know, when, when interest rates, when the 10 year treasury broke 250, everybody said it was going to three. I said, no, it's probably coming back down to one eventually and then and, and closer to zero um, as a way to artificially prop up the rest of the world. Be clear, the Fed is the central bank of the world right now. Were it not for the Fed lowering rates and the 10 year coming down, the rest of the world, specifically Europe, would have imploded already. It's going to happen anyway. But this is just, again, kicking the can down the road a little bit. Um, so there are some practical exercises that you can do um, to figure out how much runway there is with companies like Amidas Gold or an Almaden Minerals. I want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to talk about Bitcoin and cannabis. Not really, um, I guess, anything specific about companies um, in either of those two sectors, but I wanted to talk about a bit uh, a bit about bubbles and how they're different. So I'm just going to rant for a second, Gerardo. Um, there's a lot of people that have been saying that cannabis is a bubble, that it's come on too strong, that the stocks have um, got ahead of, of their earnings. And, and that's all very true. Um, but the fact of the matter is that cannabis is the, the creation of a new industry that um, has, hasn't even really spread outside of, of Canada on a national level yet, certainly not to a country like uh, the United States, where there's, um, you know, 330 million people. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the jobs because it's a real industry that's creating real value and real wealth and real jobs because the jobs in the cannabis industry have quadrupled in the past four years from just over 200 jobs per million to, to just under 1000 jobs per million in the U.S. Um, and those are high paying jobs, you know. Uh, minimum wage here in Washington state is, is $15 an hour and, and scaling up. And so um, everybody that's working at a, from bud tender on up is, is making at least that. And so um, my only point there is that it's a very real industry as opposed to, and I'm not knocking Bitcoin here. I have a different, I have a different point I want to make about Bitcoin is that I haven't been reading articles about, you know, how many jobs Bitcoin has created, for example, or how many, um businesses have been created um because of uh bitcoin or crypto now granted it helps facilitate the flow of capital which could help sales and transactions in some business but if we had to compare apples to apples the amount of jobs i think that cannabis proves itself to be a very real industry especially um 
given those numbers I just cited in the U.S. going from 200 jobs per million to 1,000 jobs per million, that's only with it being legal mm. in, in 11 states. So um, there's still, um, you know, whatever, 39 states left to go and, and think about the job implications there. Now, what I wanted to say about Bitcoin is a bit more esoteric because I think both these industries are very real. Um, but but some of the related equities got ahead of themselves. I think Bitcoin is is another one of these things that's part of um, broader world shifts going on in that it's eventually going to be adopted um, as a world currency. I know that's a bold statement, but I don't know if it's going to be Bitcoin that's adopted as a world currency or there's going to be some sort of central bank consortium that comes together and makes their own central bank currency. And I think this is something we might have touched on in this podcast before, because it's really the only way to make um, a world reserve currency that's fair, that doesn't give advantages to the person or to the country, rather, that um, is in control of that reserve currency, like the U.S. is currently in control of the world's reserve currency. And uh, I don't know how long a transition like that takes. Um, all I wanted to say is that um, it's going to be a very profound and fundamental shift that I think is going to happen as we move um, into the future and, and we adopt cryptos on a governmental and perhaps uh, uh, a global level. And so uh, maybe just me ranting for a bit, but just some stuff that came to mind today that I wanted to get on a podcast before I forgot about it. No, you know, your point is well taken. I'll joke and say that Bitcoin um, and, and blockchain have done an excellent job of creating jobs for attorneys. <laughs> they've been very effective in that sector and maybe only in that sector up until now um, but i'll also add in and chime in that the, the technology is very real and it ties in perfectly with our fourth turning conversations that we have you know when 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 the bond market implodes in europe and and, and when you know we start seeing sovereign defaults um and banks go under again i guarantee you that people will say fool me once okay we bailed you out the first time. It's not happening a second time. And not only is it not happening a second time, we need to restructure these systems. And so when I talk in my newsletters about, you know, the, 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 the end game, the end game is a restructuring of the financial systems as we know it. And you can bet your ass off it's going to involve something that cuts out the government as the middleman. Now, will government find a way to get its pound of flesh? Absolutely. It always does but it won't be able to negate the fact that the underlying technology um, provided by the blockchain, by Bitcoin, um, is, 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 is the only real way um, to have an independent store of value. And I hate to call it that because I'm a traditionalist, but it, 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 it's going to be worked in somehow. I can't tell you how it's worked in, but it will be worked in because of the lack of confidence in governments and elected officials. Anything that government and elected officials can have its hands into, people are going to want to shy away from. And in an effort to stay involved and to stay relevant, I believe governments and central banks will adopt something that includes, I don't know it will be, if it will be an isolated um, instrument that just allows for it to exist as a standalone currency, if we want to call it that, um, but it will absolutely be a part of the basket, as I believe gold will be, to be frank. That's it. I, I had a subscriber send me what I thought was a pretty insightful video from a software entrepreneur about how he thought um, the the 
uh, technology of cryptos was going to evolve and be adopted by central banks and how uh, we should do our damnedest to make sure it's not one of these Silicon Valley companies that ends up with um, the global uh, central currency like Facebook, he says, is angling to do with Libra. I'll post a video. I'll post a link to that video because I thought it was um, enlightening and insightful. And um, kudos to that reader for sending it to me. I want to shift gears once again, and I want to ask you about real estate, Gerardo, and then we'll wrap up because I know you're still on vacation and want to get back to your family. Um, and I know you dabble. No, no worries. It's an important time. Yeah, I know you important time. I'll also add to your comment about the subscriber. Everybody should go watch that antitrust movie. If you haven't seen it, it's just a movie. It's fiction. Um, I'm sure it's based on some reality. And I think it probably speaks to your subscribers point about everybody should be, should do their damnest to keep the, the Silicon Valley companies away from um, the blockchain and Bitcoin uh, aspect of it because of some of the things that are highlighted in a very fictitious movie that, again, is probably based on some reality. Anyhow, back to your point, Nick. Apologies. No, I, I wanted to ask you about real estate because I know you dabble and uh, I have an interest, but I've, I've never really speculated or invested in real estate. But I was reading about Zillow's most recent earnings this morning. And so... Um, you know, Zillow, the, the website that you go to when you want to get the Zestimate for your house, right? I always wondered, like, sure. how is Zillow making money? Because I never gave them any money. I always just went to see, you know, how what my house was worth or what my neighbors were worth or whatever. But I assume they got some ad revenue from real estate agents. But I never, you know, really understood the model or how they were going to sustain themselves. And so in their most... Um, Recent earnings in the last quarter, they reported revenue of six hundred million dollars. And the interesting part to me was mm. where was where two hundred and forty eight of those million dollars came from. So where almost half of the revenue came from. You, you want to guess or you just want me to tell you where almost half the revenue came from? No, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you tell me, Nick. I'll let you tell me so I don't make a fool of myself. <laughs> so they're they're flipping houses. Zillow is flipping houses. They made two hundred and forty eight. Point nine <laughs> <love it>. million dollars <laughs> of that 600, 250 million of the 600 uh, million dollars in revenue came from flipping houses. And the way they're doing it is through one of your favorite words, arbitrage. They are using yeah. their, they are the using, <laughs> they are using their data and their algorithm and all the people putting their homes on there and listing them for sale and recording the data of how much they're selling them for and using that to trend markets and specific zip codes, et cetera, et cetera, to drill down and uh, exploit inefficiencies in the market. So they know, for example, if someone lists a house at this price, their algorithm can say, hey, 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 that's probably you know, a bit too cheap or, or whatever, a bit too expensive for this market. There's an opportunity for arbitrage to go in there, buy the house, flip it real quick um, and relist it at a higher price. And that's exactly what Zillow is doing. And so um, one, uh, just a macro point is that that's how all these free websites operate, right? It's all about the data, whether it's what you type into Google or it's what you share on Facebook, they are hoovering that all up and they are using uh, that to monetize you, to sell ads about you or to buy homes in your neighborhood based on data that you gave them. So that's the first point. Um, and the second point is, how do you feel about that as a, as a real estate investor and speculator? Does that, um, as the article that I read was saying, is that going to take away the edge? I feel the same way about that as I feel about Facebook taking my little niece's profile, which says she's Mexican-American in her early 20s 
who lives outside of the Chicago area, um, and, and maybe Facebook uses that demographic um, and that information um, to target the ads that the Trump administration is buying to the tune of millions of dollars um, that ends up on, you know, little Johnny's computer in rural Iowa, a couple of hours away in hopes of getting, you know, little Johnny, 18, 19 year old, very impressionable Johnny um, to see an ad that says, hey, you know, um, just outside of Chicago, the suburbs are being overtaken by immigrants. It's an invasion. It's an infestation. We need to take our country back and make America great again. And then little Johnny picks up an assault rifle, drives a couple hours to the suburbs of Chicago where my little niece is at and shoots up her fucking school. That's how I feel about that. Maybe Terrible. a little more passionate against Facebook than I do Zillow because Zillow is just doing it, um, you know, with houses. Um, there's no personal live damage being actually inflicted. It's all capitalism, right? But at its core, Facebook is doing the same thing, but with people's lives. They know what those ads are meant to do. They're meant to incite. And we've seen so, the back. Yeah, that's how we, I feel about it. It's, it's why I quit Facebook nine years ago, right? It's why I got off um, all social media except for a business Twitter because I know exactly what the business model is. I was just going to say it's why we've seen a backlash to Facebook in that respect. It's um, why we've seen them hit with a record fine recently, although still a drop in the bucket. And it's why I think we're going to see a continued. You mentioned antitrust earlier, but I think we're going to see antitrust is going to be a real trend or a real theme over the coming years when it comes to these. Um, companies that sustain themselves on on your data. I'm going to start to wrap up, Gerardo. I'm going to pivot to my positive stories. Do you have any positive stories you want to talk about? Uh, you know what? I was at Wrigley Field two times this week. Uh, it's as gorgeous as ever there. I've traveled the country. I, I, I drove from Austin, Texas, through Memphis, Tennessee, um, through parts of Arkansas, into Illinois. I'm now here in, in the suburbs. I spent a few days in Chicago. And I'm here right on the outskirts of Chicago now. I'm in a mall right now making this conversation and this podcast happen. And I look around and I see people of all backgrounds walking around, coexisting, smiling at each other, being loving, shopping, being peaceful, having a good time. Young people, I see old people. This country isn't as divided as these fucking assholes in office would like for us to think. Don't let them divide you any further based <laughs> on bullshit. You know, at least let it be based in reality. And, um, you know, that's that, 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 that's my feel-good story for the week, man. I'm surrounded by family and, and, and loving people. I got to see my Cubs win. And I look around, and again, you know, despite the horrific news here recently, and again, and the averted tragedy in Missouri with this little asshole going in there with an assault rifle, 100 rounds and a bulletproof, bulletproof vest, who was, you know, held at gunpoint by a firefighter. Um, it's a miracle he wasn't killed. You know, somehow they never get killed. But, um, you know... It's, it's, it's a much more united country than, than the news media will have you believe. So, you know, do we have flaws as a country? Absolutely. Do we need to address them? Absolutely. But it's not the way it, it's portrayed. And, you know, get out and talk to your neighbors. You talked about this. You did a phenomenal job a few months back. I think it was during Christmas time or maybe during New Year's about talking about getting to meet your neighbor. And I talked about it a bit, you know, about having a, a block party. Just get to know who your neighbors are. And, you should be different. You should have different political views. You should, you know, like different baseball teams and sports teams and eat different things. And you don't have to agree on everything, people, but we could do it without killing each other. That's it. If you build it, they will come, Gerardo. I'm going to stay on your theme of Chicago and Major League Baseball and announce to you that where there was the field of dreams in the movie, there will soon be a Major League Baseball game 
held. Major League Baseball announced this week they're going to play a game between the White Sox and the Yankees in Dyersville, Iowa on August 13th, 2020. That's 200 miles west of Chicago. Major League Baseball and parts of the Midwest epitomize everything that's great about this country. As you just said, the mix of people enjoying the game, the not having to like the same team, etc. And I would echo your sentiments that uh, we're not as divided as the media and politicians would have you seen, would have uh, you think. So with that, enjoy your week. This is Nick Hodge. I've been with your co-host Gerardo Del Real. This is episode 31 of Bizarro World. Have a good week. Go out there, be kind to each other, and love each other. See ya. Have a good one, everyone. Thank you, Nick.